Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Habits. In this series, we are focusing on habits that we can implement into our routine that bring focus and health into our spiritual, emotional, and physical lives. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. I want to do a little survey this morning. How many of you follow the five-second rule when it comes to dropping a piece of food on the floor? All right. Yep. I see plenty of men and women who have done that. Well, the reality is this. Many of us have done that. And for me, I have my own personal rules. You know, if it's something that's dry, like an Oreo, and it falls on the floor, I'll blow it off and I'll eat it. But if I've unscrewed that Oreo and the cream side hits the floor, no way am I going to eat that. And by the way, that's only in my house. If it's in another place, I'm probably not going to follow the five-second rule. So so here's the bad news about the five-second rule. Uh, Professor Donald Schaefer at Rutgers did a study in 2016, and he discovered that no matter how many seconds a piece of food stayed on the floor when it hit it, Every single piece of food in their two-year test showed up with bacteria on it. Look, the reality is this. We all want pure, clean food. That's why it's been so alarming in recent years when we've seen people get sickened by food that wasn't pure, that wasn't clean. That's why we found it very unnerving earlier this year when it was revealed that there was tainted blood pressure medicine in the system here in the United States because the reality is we don't know where and how that's made oftentimes. Now, when you think about purity and you think about Uh, wanting things to be pure, we also recognize that it goes beyond food and it goes beyond medicine. The reality is this, that, that we want even our leaders to be pure in their motives, in their jobs, and in their industries. And when they aren't, we're so disappointed. Thankfully, the Me Too movement has elevated the need for accountability as well as for pure actions and motives. But sadly, we continue to see the failures of leaders to maintain appropriateness in their personal actions and in their businesses. You may have seen just in the past two weeks, the CEO of the fast food chain McDonald's was fired for violating his company's policy on sexual appropriateness in relationships with other employees. We've seen the Christian entertainer John Christ cancel his comedy tour just this week because he's been accused of and admitted to inappropriate behavior with women. And going back to McDonald's, now we're hearing revelations of franchise owners who have allowed a culture of sexual harassment to go unaddressed in their stores. We all should be saddened for the that so many people have been abused. And we should seek to support and help all victims of harassment and abuse. We also should be grateful that there is a cultural reckoning going on that is exposing abuses and sexism and racism and other biases. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we should realize that we of all people should be leading the way to prevent any and all abuse of people because such behavior is sin. 
Pastor Ed Stetzer wrote this week about the recent revelations of sexual abuse. He said, All of this sinful behavior reminds me of the reality of sin. It makes me remember that no part of our lives is out of God's sight. Too often we and I have persisted in turning a blind eye, whether through apathy or fear, and to taking a hard look at ourselves and our communities. God does not overlook what we do. And Stetzer goes on. And hear me on this, he says, it does matter that there is injustice and that it's been overlooked. It does matter that it's taken so long for the harassed and abused to be believed. Thus, our first concern should be for the victims, and we must stand with and help their voices be heard. You can't overlook that there are people here that have been abused, which is the exact opposite of how Christ loves people. Today, we are talking about the habit of purity. Why? Because we are called to be holy and pure as Christ followers. Quoting from the Old Testament, the Apostle Peter wrote, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Now here's the reality. God calls us to be holy. To be holy means to be set apart. So what does being set apart mean? It means to think and act and live like God does, which is different from the way the rest of the world thinks and acts and lives. Let me say that again. To be holy, to be set apart, means to think and act and live like God does, which is different from the way the rest of the world thinks and acts and lives. So being holy would mean living a pure life. That starts with purity with God. In Psalm 24, we read this question from God and his answer. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. This psalm asks the practical question of how can we have fellowship and connection with God? Ascending the mountain of the Lord and standing in the holy place was the psalmist's way of asking, who can come near to God and have a relationship with him? The psalmist answers the question saying, the people who have clean hearts, clean hands and pure hearts can come close to God. Scholars write that the Lord expects purity and singleness of heart from all who seek his presence. Jesus knew this, and that's why he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Purity of hands and heart is the condition of living before God in accordance with his precepts and out of the desire of his heart. The appearance of holiness is not enough because the clean hands are expressive of a pure heart. So the one who has clean hands is innocent of wrongdoing and readily asks for forgiveness when he or she has sinned against God. But God goes on in this psalm and reveals that in addition to the loyalty to the Lord in heart and life, God also wants a singleness of devotion. The godly person does not dishonor the Lord's name by idolatry or by falsehood. God wants us to live lives that honor him so we don't commit sin with our hands or hearts. Now, the good news, if we make a mistake, 
we can confess our sins and be purified from all our unrighteousness. But then in the psalm, there is this call for us to be singularly devoted to him. That means not giving your devotion to something before him. This is talking about worshiping a false god or an idol. Over the millennia, idols have changed from being objects carved from wood or stone and worshiped by people to less obvious idols. Want to figure out what could be an idol in your life? Ask yourself, what gets your undivided attention more than God? What gets your time, your talent, or your treasure? What do you spend more real time or emotional time on other than God? It could be a thing like your job or your hobby or your retirement account. It could be a person like a spouse or a child. It could be something else like politics or shopping or eating or pornography. Putting your trust in those things will leave you empty and far from God. Now, by the way, this scripture says that the one who has clean hands and a pure heart and who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god, that kind of person will be blessed by God. So let's pause for a moment and ask ourselves, are we living a life of purity with God? All right, now let's get a little bit more personal and talk about purity in our own lives. We read in the book of Colossians these words, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Now look, these verses are talking very clearly about our identity as followers of Christ. The Apostle Paul starts off by referring to the act every Christ follower should have committed. When Paul writes, since then you have been raised with Christ, he is referring to the Christ follower's baptism. You see, when we decide to believe in and follow Jesus, the moment that we become a Christian, that moment we become a Christian, and as Scripture tells us, the identifying action that should follow that decision is baptism. And we know that in baptism that we are immersed under the water like Christ was buried in the ground and then we're raised back up like Christ was raised to new life. So, in effect, Paul is saying that since you believe in Jesus and have been baptized telling the world you are a follower of Jesus, it's time to set both your hearts and your minds on the things of God and to take your mind off the sinful things of the earth. Paul is talking about our identity as children of God. Now that our hearts and our minds are on the things of God, he tells us 
what we can do with the sinful things of the earth. Paul writes, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. I appreciate what Paul, Pastor Max Anders has written. He says, you know, there are several images in the New Testament that portray what Christian living looks like. In the books of Corinthians and Timothy, he says, a believer is a disciplined athlete who strives to win a prize. And in 2 Timothy, we see that a believer is a faithful soldier who endures hardship to please his or her commanding officer. And in the book of Ephesians, we see that the believer is a tenacious wrestler engaged in a fierce struggle with a crafty foe. But here in Colossians, the Apostle Paul tells us that the believer is to be a ruthless executioner who eliminates the behaviors of the past. We are to put to death the practices of our past. Now, Paul says, put to death the things that make us impure. And he's quite specific. He says, put to death sexual immorality, put to death impurity, put to death lust, put to death evil desires, put to death greed and idolatry. And then he says, rid yourselves of all such things. In other words, to, to get rid of these things of our, out of our lives and put them to death. And he names some more. Put to death anger. Put to death rage. Put to death malice. Put to death slander. Put to death filthy language. And then, before he goes back to talking about who we are in Christ, he says, don't lie to each other. So remember, Paul starts with this idea about our new identity in Christ, that we should seek to be pure in every way. Then he points out that the way we used to be as impure, sinful people, even saying, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. And then he closes saying, now you've taken off the old self with its practices, just like you take off a coat. And now you have put on the new self, just like you put on a new coat, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of the creator. This echoes what we see in other places in the scripture where, 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 where Paul writes and says that we become new people. We become new creations, that our old life is gone and that we have a new life. And then there's this last phrase where the Apostle Paul says, talks about our new life, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. He, he tells us that this is not a once and done process, but that it's an ongoing process. We do not reach a point of perfection and stop. On the contrary, God keeps renewing us in the knowledge of who he is and who we are in him. This also allows us to deal with our sins through confession and repentance and renewal with God. So look back at those lists in Colossians and review them. There's an emphasis on sexual purity. You see, God's plan for the gift of sexuality is that it is to be enjoyed in the intimacy of marriage and nowhere else. In that list, we also see there's an emphasis on purity in our personal motivations. God pl God's plan is that our main motivation would be to live lives that glorify Him, not ourselves. And in that list, there's also an emphasis on being pure in the expression of our emotions. God gave us all of our emotions, but His plan is that when we use them, we're supposed to use them in ways that 
communicate clearly and encourage or build one another up, not tear one another down. Now, look, I know that's hard. And we have to practice that, that the expression of our some of our emotions uh, be done in a way that's not hurtful or mean. So let's pause here for a moment and ask ourselves, are we living pure lives? Now let's talk about purity with others. Paul tells his young leader, Timothy, to be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Here's the deal. We are responsible for what we know. As Christ followers, we know this, and now we're responsible. We need to follow Paul's teaching and be an example in our purity. But we also need to honor one another, which is another way of maintaining purity with our words. That, remi- that means respecting one another by our words and actions. Now think this through. If God tells us to be an example to all people in the way we live and love and believe and remain pure, then Christ followers should lead the way in loving all people as we love ourselves. We should lead the way in ending racism and sexism and classism and all forms of abuse. We should make sure to connect with people that we don't know. We should lead the way in supporting the victims who have been abused. We should check our personal motives and we should be in relationships with other Christ followers where we can have mutual accountability. Personally, I want to tell you that God's been working on me in the area of race relationships. I've been reading everything I can get my hands on to help me to understand particularly how my African-American friends feel in our nation. And I've been going deeper in my friendships across all races. And one of the things that I've asked of my friends is, if I don't seem to get what they're experiencing, or worse yet, if I say something that is offensive, I ask them if they would please stop me and show me my error. Why is this important? Because I only know my own experience. I only know what it's like to be me. I don't know what it's like to be somebody else of a different race or a different gender or a different ability. Why is this important for me to admit to my friends? So I can learn, so I can be teachable, so I can go deeper in our relationships with all people. You know, as a young Christ follower, I took to heart the words of the Apostle Paul, who commands us to abstain from the appearance of evil. I never wanted to put myself in a situation where it would look like I was doing something that I shouldn't be doing. I wanted to avoid the appearance of evil. But as I matured, I realized it was not only in what I was doing that I wanted to avoid the appearance of evil. It was also I wanted to avoid the appearance of evil in what I said. Now, why is that important? Because Unlike the nursery rhyme that says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, words do hurt. That nursery rhyme is not true. Words are the main weapons being wielded in our culture today. People speak hurtful words and people post hurtful words and communicate hurtful ideas in every form and fashion. 
And I don't want to do that, even out of ignorance. So I openly invite my friends to correct me so I can live in purity with them and others. Followers of Christ, we need to lead the way in honoring one another. We may not agree with what someone says, but we can honor them by listening and politely disagreeing. We may find what someone says hurtful or offensive, and we can communicate that in a way that is honoring and not disrespectful. Look, the habit of purity is what God calls us to pursue so that we can be in a right relationship with him and with others. So let's do that. But what if you make a mistake and sin against God or others? When we do, that severs a relationship, but God has provided a way for us to restore our relationships. The way that we deal with stuff that we're doing that is not according to God's will, things, thoughts, and actions, and words that are sinful and that dishonor God is to repent. Repentance is turning away from our sin, confessing to God what we've done that is wrong, and seeking His forgiveness and restoring that relationship. We can do the same thing with other people. We can confess our sin to them and how we've offended them, and we can restore that relationship. So let's spend some time right now in prayer, repenting, going to God and turning away from our sin and confessing it to Him. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.